Genesis 2, verses 1 through 15. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed toward the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Dwayne said he would give me a blank picture, and I said, can I get stars or something? So here we are. Thank you. Somebody asked me, in fact, a couple people asked me this morning, you ever get nervous before you go up front to speak? And, <laughs> and uh, one of them I said, we'll talk about that later because it was getting too close to time. So I want to give you a little bit of a story before I get into our message today. You didn't know me when I was a kid. There are very few people out here ever knew me as that small. But a crowd was two people. And if there was three people, I was in the back, and I didn't say anything. I was very shy. So as God worked on me over time, uh, I had to realize a few things. First of all, life wasn't all about me. Um, and if I was embarrassed or, um, you know, scared stiff, uh, that was about me. And so I had to put off feelings of scaredness or inferiority or whatever caused me to have uh, extreme shyness. I met uh, a couple individuals along the way that became very good friends of mine. And lo and behold, those couple guys were also very shy. So <laughs> that didn't really help. But, you know, we became a crowd of two, then we became a crowd of three. And eventually there was a crowd of us that were four together, and we were okay with that. And uh, so I had to learn that life wasn't about me, but it was about something else. And when I was 17, 
I realized that life was about God. And life didn't revolve about me or any individual, but it revolved around God, just like we revolve around the sun. And so when Paul gave me an empty jar this morning, this was not part of it, but he said, you've got to give me something today. And then he closed it up. So we're going to leave this jar open to see if anything will go in it. So encouragement for you of those that are very shy. Um, I was able to, in time, to speak to two people and then three people and eventually 50 people. And now I can speak to, you know, 100 so people without worrying about it because it's not about me. Life isn't about us individual. It's about God. So today, in keeping that in mind, I want to talk about an individual that's in one sense very hard for me to talk about because of the emotional ties to him, but in one sense very easy to talk about. So you're going to see some emotions cross that you're going to wonder what's going on, but that's what it's all about. Also, I would like you to, as we go into... um, hearing a little bit about what God has for us for today and for the rest of our lives is to realize that today, I think it was today or or maybe yesterday, um, Russia has made more of an attack on Ukraine as you've uh, seen in your uh, news flashes, whatever. Uh, And... Can you contemplate that we're not here today, but we're fleeing to Mexico because Canada Canada has invaded us and we are fearful for our lives so much that we leave everything we know about, we grab that which we think we will need and we start heading out, perhaps on foot, any way we can get there to Mexico because we know Mexico is safe. And that's where a lot of our fellow men are today. I'm going to speak about an individual who is concerned about his fellow men. And uh, before we do that, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you're the father of all good gifts, and you have made us, and you have put us in a body, and you have placed us in the world and given us things to do. May we be willing servants to do your will, even as our Lord was obedient to do your will. In Jesus' name, and in his power we pray. Amen. As we asked God what to share on today, it was about a month ago, and, uh, or a couple months, I guess, a couple of verses came really clear to my mind. It was a concept which all true believers will eventually wrestle with. I say wrestle because it goes against our own fleshly human nature and our natural human will. And then it was funny because when Pastor Jonathan announced what he was going to share on as far as 
Philippians, I realized that my thoughts came from the same book. So let's turn to Philippians um, chapter 2. And you can read verses 3 and 4 there. I'm not going to read them to you in the interest of time. But chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 are talking about um, not thinking so much about yourself and thinking about other people and doing what God wants you to do in today and in the world. And we're not even going to dissect those because Jonathan just got done doing that. So we're going to take a little bit of a different view of those. Uh, we're going to look at a life that was lived out in the teaching there in those couple verses. And if you, if you keep looking down through there, you'll see that uh, it is an attitude that not only comes naturally to us, but we're commanded to have it because it was Christ's attitude, it was Christ's actions, and we are to follow Christ. And then we ask the question, well, do we have to live all of our life for others? After all, it is my life, it is it not? And we get a little bit of selfishness in there because I want to do certain things or I have my bucket list or whatever. You remember our reading out of Genesis that Andrew just read for us? God created man. He breathed in him the breath of life. He put him in the garden to tend the garden. So we see that it was man directed by God to do certain things, not man directing God or challenging God. So it, it all comes down from that authority structure. God, the creator, sustainer of all things, puts us in a situation, the situation we're in right today, actually, and he expects us to work in what he wants us to do. In the case of Adam and Eve, they were given some plain instructions what to do and what not to do. And it sounds like even there that God was in charge. Also, God communicated directly with Adam and Eve came down in the evening, it says, and communicated with them. And so they had no excuse as far as if they had any question or any challenge to God at all. They had a daily communication with him as far as answering their questions about life and receiving answers. And the challenge to us, do we make that a habit and a pattern of our lives to have a daily communication with us? God desires it. Are we doing it? The preacher did a good job of explaining this passage. So just for today, we'll use some simple word definitions. And I have, I hope you can get a hold of one of these if you don't have one of these. I have an old Webster's Dictionary. It's this thick. And it's a a wonderful book because uh, the man, Noah Webster, created this dictionary for the purpose of understanding the English language, because if you think about it, right back then they were they were coming away from the the mother country and they were establishing themselves in our nation, and he wanted to make sure that there was definite understanding of word and in English 
as they were speaking it and culture as they would develop it. So let's look at the words that are in that very passage there. Um, The word selfish. Regarding one's own interests chiefly or solely, influenced in actions by a view to private advantage, power, or happiness, without the regard of the interest of others. And I'm going to have to take a moment here. There's not in my notes, but God has been impressing on my heart that I'm, well, I'm not speaking at you. I'm speaking with you because I realize that most all of you in this room are doing what Philippians 3 and 4, uh, chapter 2, 3 and 4 say to do. You're not thinking just simply about your own interests, but you're thinking about the interests of others. So let's fine-tune, you know, some radios have a fine-tuning knob. Let's fine-tune our, our living out of that today. Mr. Webster had a great statement here. I, I'd like to memorize this one. Selfishness in its worst or unqualified sense is the very essence of human depravity. The very essence of human depravity. And stands in direct opposition to benevolence, or we could say that word maybe more like love and care for each other, which is the essence of the divine character. As God is love, so man in his natural state is selfish. So we see this God being perfect and love and us being imperfect, very imperfect in selfishness. The word ambition, to go about, to seek after, a desire of per, for preferment or of honor, a desire of excellence or superiority. Now, that word in itself, ambition, doesn't have a bad connotation uh, because we all try to strive for excellence, say, in our work or in what we do. But how we couple that with selfish ambition makes a difference. And then some of your translations have vain glory or conceit there. Well, vain is weak, void, empty, worthless, having no substance, value, or importance, fruitless, ineffectual. So check ourselves where we're going, what's our motives? Conceit, proud of petty things or of trifling attainments, elated with high opinion of one's own accomplishments or with things more showy than valuable, conceited, unsatisfying. And this is another thing I had to learn as I was working through my shyness was did it really matter about what I felt? I felt it, but God was concerned about something else. One of the things he was more concerned about in me was humility. And humility is a definition from uh, Mr. Webster, is freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth, Lowliness of mind, self-abasement, repentance from sin and submission to the divine will. So put all those together. I'm going to read you a little bit of statement here that is not scriptural, 
I'm just trying to try to understand these verses in a little bit uh, closer way in our English definition. So simply stated, verse 3 has these thoughts in it. Stopped acting from motives of faction, rivalry, selfishness, pride, empty conceit, envy, petty ambition, vainglory, vanity, or simply for purely private needs. But rather, and within humility, or lowliness of meekness of mind, modestly with low thoughts of self, deem or esteem or regard and practice treating one another as superior, more of an account, more important than oneself, than myself. Looking not merely every man on his own personal things or his own interest, but seek likewise his neighbor's goodwill or his well-being. Practice looking out for the interest of others also, Sounds a whole lot like love your neighbor as yourself, which was a direct command from God. Or Jesus gave us a direct command of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Sounds like that, doesn't it? I ran across an Irish proverb because I have Irish in me. I look at things like maybe some of the Irish do. Uh, By the way, I want to just put a plug in here for the Irish. You know, sometimes red hair is looked down on. (laughs) I love red hair. Although not Irish have red hair, there's a lot of different colors out there. But an old Irish proverb states, it is in the shelter of each other that people live. You think about your own neighborhood. If you can't trust the neighbor who lives next to you, who can you trust? Can that neighbor trust you? So the neighbor can trust you if he sees in us our care for him. And if we develop a neighborhood, that's what we want to see. We want to see a neighborhood caring for each other. And then this neighborhood caring for this neighborhood because there's connection of people there, right? And that's what happens in the body of Christ. We care for one another. We have ways to do this. When one adheres to the word of God, when living by the spirit of the living God, the fruit that is produced in and through oneself is these things, and we know what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Each of you... All of us should look not only to your own interests, but also of the interests of others. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. If Christ the very God, can make himself human in nature and serve us, I think that we have the possibility of being able to do that for ourselves. 
I'm going to walk you through a picture album of a man who illustrated these verses. To illustrate this kind of person that our Heavenly Father wants us to be, let's look in on a man's life that lived out this teaching. He was born in 1895, a long time ago, in a family of eight children on a small farm of Piermont, Indiana. Anybody know who where that is? <laughs> nice. I've been there myself. His grandpa's name was Abraham. His father's name was Isaac. And his name was Jacob. Jacob moved to North Dakota, finished school, helped his father on the family farm. In 1915, at age 20, he bought a new buggy, horse-drawn, you know. He began to work as a carpenter during this time, and he also helped his brother Amos farm in Flint, Michigan. I have a lot of precious things from this man. One is this handsaw. He told me he got it in 1910. So that was a long time ago. This thing's an antique. But it still plays a good tune and it still cuts a good board. <laughs> he was drafted into the army in 1917, and during this time became a Christian. One of the most important decisions that he ever made in his life. In 1920, he came to Wenatchee, Washington. Um, they followed, some of the young men of that day followed the fruit harvest. And then he came to Modesto, California in 1922. Who knows about Anybody know about where Modesto, California is? Oh, more people, good. Jake, as his friends called him, was going to return to his home territory, but God had other plans. Though he had no intention of staying in California very long, he met a sweet girl named Ella and decided California had a lot to af offer after all. And you notice the picture there. She's got one eye more focused than the other. I think he's got a, had an eye on him. Ella had come to California from Michigan with her parents in 1908. <clears throat> on August 24th, 1924, might be some play on those dates there somewhere, I'm not sure. Jake and Ella were married and they lived in a house that Jake built from a plan he had sketched out on a broad paper sack, on a brown paper sack. He took a brown paper sack, cut it open, sketched out his house, and built it. Ella had come to know Jesus as her personal Savior three years before they were married. 
Jake and Ella were blessed with a daughter, Evelyn, born in 1926, a son, Howard, born in 1927, and another daughter born on July 4th, 1942. She was a real sparkler of a girl. You got it. And by the way, she really loved sparklers. Every July 4th, this man would have out in his yard a grand display of um, all kinds of sparklers and those kinds of things, you know, that we have on July 4th. Jake and Ella's ranch, as Jake liked to call their small dairy farm, supported milk cows with a barn and a pasture and hay. And it was all watered by ditched water that was overseen by the, the people around the area. It was free to all those who needed it. And they had their rotation of getting it. And um, you, you could get it during the day, you could get it during the night, whatever you chose as the water came by. They planted fruit trees and nut trees and Jake's special black Manuka grapes. Anybody know what a black Manuka grape is? Okay, great. So you. So picture here of Ella on the left and Jake on the right with some of their their eldest daughter and the family there. That's not their house, but that's a picture of them as they were older. The only son, Howard, was a fine young man and heir to his family's ranch. And that's a picture of Howard and his sister, Evelyn, and Jake is in the middle there. And again, Howard, the favored son in the family buggy. And if you look close, the dog and the cat are in there too. And, uh, and they had this barn and they cut their own hay and put it in the barn. Howard was heir to his family's ranch. But one night when he was irrigating, the field and the orchard, an unwitnessed accident happened and he drowned in the irrigation ditch at age 17. A tragic loss for the family and all that knew them. <clears throat> That's kind of the way it felt. There was no picture on the page, right? It was like life stopped. And if you've ever had a death in your family, whether it's a miscarriage or uh, a person that's been alive for a while, you know what that feeling is like. And I think pretty near every one of us in here knows what that feeling is like. Howard had a good friend named Robert, and he became a comfort to the family as they, named, as they mourned their loss. 
Bob became as a son to them. Life goes on, they say. True, but we're affected by each event that happens. So how will we respond? Life went on. But in 1950, Evelyn, on the left there, contracted the dreaded polio disease. Her mom, Ella, went to the hospital with her and also fell to the disease, eventually losing the use of her legs and weakening her upper body. Evelyn was married and having her own family by that time and fortunately was not affected as much as her mother, Ella. Now, what would you be thinking and doing as a husband and father during all this time? I've contemplated that many, many times. Well, Jake went to work on their house, the precious house, remember? Putting up ramps up to the doors for wheelchair access, taking up nice rugs and putting down hard, easy rolling surfaces for the wheelchair, cutting off all the kitchen cabinets so the wheelchair could get underneath there. So Grammy could serve as long as she could. And yes, it was my Grammy and we lived across the road from her at that time. He installed a lift in the bathroom for tub bathing. He raised up the toilet, built a sun porch, and a planter box for raised bed gardening. He had numerous inventions for making life easy for Grammy. On his Chrysler New Yorker car, which was a great, wonderful car of the the day, he put this ugly old rack on the top so that he could lift Grammy out of her wheelchair and put her in the seat and they could take drives. That's what this guy did. Later he closed in an outdoor porch so Grammy could lay in her high hospital bed all day and look out windows all around. When the wonderful redwood-sided barn was no longer served its purpose, Grandpa Jake and us removed the siding and attempted to pull it down. We tried to pull this pole structure down, but it wouldn't come, so we had to get a strong tractor to bring it down. And Grandpa's thought and statement was, there, now Grammy has a great view of the world beyond the ranch. Grandpa was living out. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. He was a great grandpa. He had a sweet tooth, but you can see in a picture here, when he got full, he just, he'd grab his belt and said, oh, i got to let out a notch here, you know. And uh, he always served the grandkids their first ice cream. Uh, I know we remember one of us, Jonathan or David, we waited for months till we got back to California so Grandpa Jake could give him the first ice cream. 
We had Grandpa could cook. He did pretty good at cooking when he had to, and he did. But we'd have Chinese takeout food, and of course, always ice cream, and mostly it was homemade. And Grandpa especially, Cracker Jack popcorn. There was something about Grandpa that I'm going to explain to you now. If you look closely at the picture, and I had Peter blow up the thumb area there, Grandpa Jake, when he was just a lad, chopped off a thumb with a hatchet when he was making kindling. So he had one. And then when he was an adult working carpentry work, he chopped off the other one in the table saw. <laughs> so now, you know, I don't know how precious your thumbs are to you. Just try buttoning your shirt or threading a needle or so many things without the end of your thumbs being like they were. But Grandpa's, as you can see there, was pretty much like a bulb on the end. But keep that in mind as you think about what Grandpa was doing. All the stuff that he was doing for his world and revolved mostly around Grammy was done with those kind of things in mind. Later, when most of our families were married and my mom, Evelyn, was sewing my youngest sister's wedding dress for her upcoming wedding, death struck again. My mom died in a terrible accident. And I alluded that a little bit to that of the last time I shared with you, but you can take a look at that, which was dad's work pickup, um, which had a very tragic accident. We'll not take the time to describe how that happened, but uh, three hours after that thing struck, um, mom was in heaven. One of the saddest things about our mom's sudden death was watching Grandpa toss shovelfuls of dirt on his own daughter's casket. I can hear it. Of course, Grammy couldn't be there because she was at home in bed. And that's the way it was with Grammy. For all of weddings and funerals and things that people gathered for, Grammy was home in bed. My brother was an electronic, is an electronics person, and so he eventually tied through the phone line so Grammy could hear church services or, or events like that. He set up a radio by her bed when that was not, con you know, wasn't normal. Uh, and he, he made, assisted her in a lot of things that uh, to the day of the day was not uh, normal. Grandpa asked for these kind of things and made put them in place. So what was Grandpa doing and what was Grandpa going, where was, what kept Grandpa going during this time? Well, he knew he was a servant of the living God. And as Job had said long before, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. So there was never bitterness over Uncle Howard's or Mom's deaths. Questions, yes, sure, but no doubting God's will or purpose. How do we know this? Grandpa and Grammy continued to live in that deep abiding joy that only comes to the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit of God. Grandpa Jake remained strong in body 
at 90-something, they put a pacemaker in him, and the doctor said, well, we don't normally put pacemakers in people you old, but you have a lot of things to do. Serving Christ by loving those entrusted to his care, his family, his neighbors, and his fellow men. And I don't have the time to go into all the stories of Grandpa, how he served not only just his family, which was a huge care and burden for most of us it would be, but he's, his neighborhood felt the effects of him. The people he worked for, he, he was in charge when he was in his carpentry work of over 60 people uh, as a foreman. And uh, he would, he blessed every person that he touched. Strong love produced in and through us is a product of the Holy Spirit as we yield our lives to him. God blessed Grandpa and Grammy with over 70 years of married life, not married bliss. Not life without trouble, but life lived together in harmony with each other and the good Lord. Grandpa loved Jesus. We all have come to realize that Grandpa lived by these principles. Number one, know Jesus. Know who he is. Personally trust him for your soul's salvation and for life's directions. Trust God. He never, never makes mistakes. Number two, decide to walk with God. He knows the way and he helps us each day. The path may not be easy, but God walks with us. Act on what you know is right to do. Number three, act on what you know is right to do. Know his word, know his voice, listen, trust, and obey. I should describe this picture to you. It looks like Grandpa's playing with some wool or something, but it's really snow. Uh, somebody took the time to go up in the mountains and bring some snow back into the pickup for Grandpa Jake to have fun with. This was... This was the month that I think Grandpa Jake died or very close to the day of his death. Number four, live, really live. Live out all you learn from God. Joy from the Holy Spirit is a deep well. It's the wellspring of life. Hard times, loss, setbacks, even death separation does not quench joy. Live in joy. Number five, share. Share life with each other. Never hold a grudge. Always forgive offenses. Cry with those who are crying. Laugh with those who laugh. Walk hand in hand with those that you love. Give of yourself that there's no more strength to live. Grandpa Jake told me something when I was just a young teenager, I think it was. He said, Brian, always stay on the building crew. And I thought, you know, okay. Always stay on the building crew. I was a carpenter by that time. I figured that's what he meant. That's not what Grandpa Jake meant. Grandpa Jake was on the building crew after he was retired. What do you mean? Building others up. Stay on the building crew. And then when it's time to go home, go home. Rejoice. So now Grammy is left with one daughter. 
And of course, the rest of us that were there and the rest of the family. But our Grandpa Jake really lived. He really lived. Then on December 31st, 1994, remember he was born in 1990 or 1895. In 1994, he went home to be with Jesus to hug his son and daughter and await the homecoming of his little girl, his sweetheart, Ella. He was a joyful servant of the living God. Now, Grandpa Jake and Ella are rejoicing in the presence of Jesus and looking forward to having the rest of their family join them. I'm looking forward to it, too. I have a question. When we get home, will we hear the words Grandpa Jake heard? Grandpa Jake heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest, into my joy. There's Grandpa Jake in one of the rare moments of <laughs> recreation, because he didn't do much recreation, but he loved to fish. And uh, I have a favorite picture that I couldn't find, but it was Grandpa Jake during his work days, and he had these, these coveralls that had pockets everywhere. And it was frozen wintertime, and he was fishing on this same lake. And he had these frozen fish sticking out all over every pocket. <laughs> and uh, I love that picture, but I, I have to find it. Anyway, there's Grandpa Jake tying one on. Now, you fishermen know that threading a hook and threading a worm on a hook with the thumbs like Grandpa Jake had was not that much fun. But Grandpa Jake persevered in everything he did. <laughs> Grandpa Jake was a humble, faithful, joy-filled servant of the good Lord, his Savior Jesus, the living God, the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let's go and do likewise like him. Do we have to live all this life for others? After all, it is my life, is it not? That's a question that we started out with. The statement that comes to us is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I'm going to read you a testimony of my brother-in-law, Dennis, who married my sister. And this is a testimony that Dennis wrote after Grandpa Jake was gone. It was written at, was given at his funeral. And later, our sister-in-law put a whole bunch of these testimonies and pictures together, some of what you have seen today in a book for us. Many positive remembrances come to mind when I think of Grandpa Jake. I never knew him as Jake Wagner, only as Grandpa Jake, because he came with the family, and for good reason, too. When I met Donna King, I met Grandpa Jake, and when I married Donna, I got all of John King's and Dave Wing's families with the deal. And at the center of these wonderful families were Grandpa Jake and Grammy Ella, as they were affectionately referred to. I was accepted immediately with open arms and warm hearts as close family. 
Always to me, Grandpa Jake has been an example of unselfish caring. First in care of his dear wife and best friend, Ella. And then his caring extended to family, friends, and then beyond to strangers. Grandpa Jake has always been an example of sharing. Many times we and others used his shop for automobile repair or some woodworking project. I'll have to add something here because Dennis just shared with me the last time I talked to him. Grandpa Jake had a pickup that he used for his work. Grandpa Jake, for you guys that have all your wonderful tools and your trailers and your, your big work pickups, you know, you know how Grandpa Jake started his career out? On his bicycle. <laughs> he, had, he tied his tools on the back on his bicycle. That's how he started his career. So we've come a long way, you know. Anyway, Grandpa Jake's last pickup uh, when he w was retired, then he let the family use that pickup wherever they want, whenever they wanted to, whenever they needed it. All he ever asked of us was that we be careful with our fingers with those power tools. <laughs> Grandpa Jake was always a wonderful example of good, positive humor. I guess it was what I needed at that time in my life. I so enjoyed the ever-positive attitude and good humor of Grandpa Jake. And then mixed together like two-part harmony with his, was his deep reverence of the good Lord as he referred to his Savior and his steady dedication to both his spiritual and human commitments. So now that you're home, Grandpa, and if you don't mind, I think I'll take those examples and use them in my life and show them to my children as my tribute to honor you forever, Grandpa Jake. And Dennis has done a good job of that. That's another story for another time. Jacob Raymond Wagner, born September 2nd, 1895, a dash through Earth's life of 99 years, 3 months, and 29 days. And he went home December 31st, 1994. Legacy. You that are grandparents particularly think of legacy. We will all leave behind something whether we're old or young when we die. And Grandpa Jake left a legacy. Grandpa Jake left a legacy of love. Tender affection and heartfelt thankfulness. I believe, and I, this is my, my words now, I believe I'll never forget the last hug and kiss I received from Grandpa. I then walked out through the green tiled dining room, hard surface, remember, where we shared so many good meals, out through the kitchen, remodeled just for his little girl, when polio claimed her body to the wheelchair, past the cereal cabinet and the cookie drawer, that was an important one, turned the familiar knob on the back porch with its deep hand-washing sink and lava bar soap, passed the lid and the coat on their hooks, and passed through that final outside door with its faithful spring, closing it behind me. There I paused to stand on a lovingly constructed deck that was to bring sunshine for my Grammy to enjoy without the wind. 
and leaned on the hanging planter to cry with Uncle Dave and Aunt Millie for the loss of Uncle Dave's dad, known to soon come. For me, I realized that this would be my last time to see my grandpa this side of Gloryland. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for being grandpa's life while he dwelt among us, for giving him power to love, to live out your commands and to give us the example that, yes, it is possible to love amidst many trials and even to count it all joy.